Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Well, happy long weekend, everybody. I say this every long weekend, but there is a special place in heaven for people who show up on long weekends to church. Jesus sees, he's keeping account, and uh, it's a little extra for you in eternity, I think. You know, I was, um, I was a youth pastor for many, many years, and um, one of the crosses you bear as a youth pastor in a church is you get given all the long weekends in a year to preach. So the weekends when nobody else wants to be there, nobody else wants to preach, they're like, hey, it's your turn, kid. You get a chance to do it. And it's a privilege, and you're, you're glad to have that privilege, but it's also one that you can't wait to graduate from. And so I thought I had graduated from that in my life. And then when uh, the, Pastor Emma put the teaching schedule for the summer together, she had put me on every long weekend. Um, and I'm like, well, I'm the long weekend guy now. But, uh, but thanks for being here, at least. Pastor Ben is nowhere to be found in the building today. Not sure where he's at, but uh, no, it's great to be here. Hey, we are in part four of our summer sermon series called Send Me. And I'm loving what God is speaking to our church, the heart of our church through this series. And so we don't have time to summarize everything. So I wanna encourage you, if you're just jumping in today or if you've missed some, get on YouTube or grab the podcast and follow along. Because I really believe that what God's saying to us as we uh, emerge from this season of lockdown and disconnection and as we prepare to uh, launch and start new campuses in the fall, that uh, what he's saying to us right now is really, really important for what is coming for us in the future. And I want to read to us the key text that we've been anchored in, in Isaiah chapter 6. This is the heart of what we're getting at in this series together. And so we're going to read Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. We see this heavenly vision that the prophet Isaiah gets caught up in. And it says this, starting in verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and a train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the, with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sins atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. We see this commissioning of the prophet Isaiah in this text. And before we get into what we're going to unpack today, I want to remind us of some kind of important ideas or threads that have been woven through the first few weeks of this series that will actually serve as a really great foundation for us in what we're talking about today. 
The first reminder is this, is we've been talking about this idea, is that before we can say, send me, we first need to know where we are. We need to understand where we're located. Isaiah, he first cries out, here am I. There is a sense by which like, he knew where he was in relation to God. He was in the right place to be able to hear the call of God. To know where we are means we need to be able to spiritually locate ourselves in the right place to hear the call of God. That doesn't mean that we're always going to get some heavenly vision like Isaiah did here. I've never had one of those. But there's a, 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 a way in which that we live that we know where we're located. We know where we are in relation to God and we position ourselves to hear his call. The second thing is that we've been talking about that the call of God and the commission of God are different and a progression. The call of God and the commission of God are a progression. You see, most of the time when I talk with people that are trying to figure out, like, what's God's call on my life? Maybe you've asked yourself that question. Like, God, what are you calling me to? What, what is my calling? What we're actually asking is not what our call is, but what our commission is. See, our commission, we all have one. It's personal and it's unique. It's different than mine. Your commission is different than mine. Mine is different than yours. It's the way you and I will work out and offer the unique gifts God has given me in service to his kingdom. It's the specific role we're called to play within the body of Christ. But the call of God, the call of God is different. The call of God is universal. It's the call of God to every human being to answer his call. But it comes before the commissioning. And the reason we often find ourselves frustrated or disillusioned in trying to understand God's plan for our life is we've missed the first step or we're trying to bypass this first step to answer the call of God. And so what is the first step? What is the call of God? This is the third idea is that the call of God to every disciple is to follow Jesus. It's to follow Jesus. That sounds really simple and it is. It's not easy, but it is simple. Pastor Emma, a couple weeks ago, we were looking in Matthew chapter 4, and Jesus says to some fishermen, he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The call to follow Jesus is not about a specific destination. It's not about the specific way I work out my gifts. It's not the place that God will send me in the world. The call of God, rather, is an invitation to a life in proximity to Jesus, that's the call of God. All of us must answer that call. All of us can live more deeply into that call. It was said in, in this day that, that a disciple was to be covered in the dust of his rabbi. That we follow our rabbi. We follow our teacher. And that's our call today as we follow Jesus, is to be near him, is to live in proximity to him. Last week, Pastor Ben opened up uh, the story of the rich young ruler and talked about how Sometimes we tend to think that our perfect life, a life where everything is in order, a life where everything looks as we want it, is what uh, proximity to Jesus means or looks like or by the means by which we attain that. And so if you missed that, I want to make sure you jump on the podcast and hear that again. But today we're going to look at another area of our lives that I think we tend to misunderstand as proximity to Jesus. We misunderstand as proximity to Jesus. Do you have any passages of scripture that just sort of bug you or maybe freak you out just a little bit? Something that you, like you lie awake at night, you're like, oh, don't think too much about that one. That one freaks me out. Some of you, you've like delved into like the, the book of Revelation and you're like, ah, there's something there I'm not too sure about. 
Those ones don't even freak me out the most. It's the really clear passages of scripture that freak me out more than the obscure ones. It's the clear ones. Here's one for me. Matthew chapter seven, verse 21 to 23. Jesus says this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That freak anyone else out? I'm still waiting for like an explanation from Jesus. Like, here's what I really mean about that. And a lot of times he just doesn't do that. It's almost like he means what he's saying. Here's why it freaks me out. This passage tells us something about reality. It tells us that we can live a life that looks really, really good on the outside. It looks like we're hitting all the marks and we can still completely miss the point. See, if I came across the person that this passage was describing, I would assume, as I think you would, that this person is close to Jesus. Like, did you hear the stuff they were doing? It's like, like they're prophesying in Jesus' name. They're driving out demons in Jesus' name. They're performing miracles in Jesus' name. Anyone done a bunch of that this week? <laughs> Just going to be honest with you. I have cast out zero demons this week. None. <laughs> On the outside, things can look good and they can look right, but Jesus says, they've missed it. He says, I never knew you. I think why this passage is so scary to me is that I really believe this is one of the great dangers we face in the Western church. Is we've got a lot of good-looking things going on on the outside. Things look good, and we're well-trained how to go through the church motions, the Christian motions, aren't we? We've got our services, and we give our money, and we know how to worship at the right times. We know when to lift our hands and when to look solemn. Like We know uh, how to pray. We know we do the serving stuff. We've got a lot of activity. There's a lot of things going on. We're around a lot of Jesus-y stuff. But all of those good things... They have the potential and they have the power to deceive us into thinking that we're living in proximity to Jesus. And perhaps, just maybe, Jesus would stand back and say, I don't know you. I don't know you. All of our activity as followers of Jesus, it's not inherently wrong. But our activity and our doing must be in proper priority. And we also must understand that our activity does not equal proximity to Jesus. We can do all the stuff and our hearts can be far from Jesus. Today we're going to look at a story in Luke chapter 10 of two sisters who were both around Jesus, both close to Jesus, both were called friends of Jesus but they each lived in very different proximity to Jesus. This is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, and it says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. 
She came and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. We have two sisters, both in the same house as Jesus, both around Jesus, both to a degree we would assume want to be a disciple of Jesus. But each of them take up a very different position in relation to Jesus in our story. We have Mary. We find her sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening intently to what he's saying, hanging on every word. And we also have Martha. And Martha's around. And she's busy and she's active and she's trying to make sure everything's taken care of for her guests. Like she's being a good host in this moment. But as she's busy serving and doing, we see a problem arise, and it's one that you and I often face the same. She becomes frustrated and annoyed by the situation. Have you ever been in that place? That you're serving, you're doing stuff, and, and what at one point was like was joy when you did it. It's like, I love showing up, I love serving, I love using my gifts, and all of a sudden, it happens slowly, but it feels like it happens quickly. You're like annoyed. Nobody else is doing anything. I'm here all the time, nobody else cares, and it's everybody else's fault that I feel as frustrated as I do. We can relate to this, can't we? But Jesus' response to her complaint and her frustration opens up a window to us into what is truly important to him. See, Martha's active. She's a doer. She might be like a type A personality, just like getting things done. She's serving Jesus. She's doing a lot of very good things and nothing she's doing is wrong. Martha's not living in sin. She's doing what's appropriate in that sense. Like, like not just in our culture, but particularly in her culture, she opened her home. It's, she's hosting. Things needed to be done. Like things needed to be cleaned. Food needed to be prepared. Nothing she's doing is wrong. In fact, it all is important. It all needs to be done. Somebody has to do it. But in all of her activity and in all of her service, she's distracted. And we understand that she's distracted, but in her distraction, she's missing what's right in front of her. She's missing what's most important. You see, Martha's issues are, go beyond this surface level of distraction and frustration, though. It's, it's bigger than just this momentary, like, oh, I got upset because of the way Jesus speaks to her. What we see as we kind of pull back the curtain and look a layer deep is that Martha's life is uncentered. She, like many of us, had come to define her life by duty and by to-do lists and have-tos and accomplishments and checking the boxes. It's safe to assume that at some level she believed that her value was found in the things that she could produce, in the things that she could do, in what she could show as being completed. See, the problem for Martha is not actually the tasks. It's not actually the to-do list. It's not actually the things that she was doing. The problem for her was a disordered heart. She was living with a disordered heart. And even if in this moment she had taken time to sit with Jesus, it's likely that she would have remained distracted and would have remained frustrated because her issues were not about a to-do list. Her issues were an issue of her heart. 
Have you ever been in that place? You're just trying to like be quiet with Jesus and you're like thinking about all the things that you still need to do and you're just like, can we, am I done? Is my quiet time over? Can I get to the next thing? That would have been Martha in that moment. See, the truth is that many of us who are serving Jesus today are a lot like our sister, Martha. We're around Jesus. We're in the vicinity. Like if the doors are open, you show up. Like you're, you're here. You know what to do. You know the motions to go through. You might even know how to talk about Jesus to a, a fair degree. Like um, we're, we're doing all these good things, but our hearts are distracted and our hearts become disordered. And if Jesus were here, he might look at us like he said to Martha and he says, you're worried and upset about many things. You're doing a lot. You're doing a lot of good things. You're active your heart is disordered. Many of us have convinced ourselves that activity, that busyness, that the things that we do are the markers of Christian maturity. And so we think things to ourselves, like as long as I do all the right things, as long as I use my gifts, as long as I serve well, as long as I check the boxes, then I'm doing exactly what Jesus wants. And we appear to be doing all the right things on the outside, but we're actually missing the most important thing. We're working really hard, exerting a lot of energy, but we're living shallow and we're living tired, irritated, burnt out because our well is run dry. We have no joy, we're anxious all the time, and we're tired. Why? It's because our doing for Jesus is not flowing from a life that prioritizes being with Jesus. We're doing a lot of things for Jesus, but we're not prioritizing a life with Jesus. And you and I, we can do all of the stuff. We can do the activity and the service. We can do all the things that we want for Jesus, but, if it, but it does not equal proximity to Jesus. You can do a lot and still miss the most important thing. Or to put it another way, Jesus says this in John chapter 15, we are like a branch disconnected from the vine. We're disconnected from our source. And when we're disconnected from the vine, who is Jesus? We cannot bear fruit. And this is the worst part of all of this. Is that when our doing for Jesus outweighs our being with Jesus, our lives remain unchanged. This is the saddest part to me. Maybe you've experienced this. I know I've experienced this for so many years of my life is we exert so much effort, but our lives produce such little fruit. I wonder if you can relate to that feeling today. Like you're working hard. You're just, it's almost like you're looking over your shoulder saying, Jesus, is it enough? Like, have I checked the boxes? Have I done the right things? You're trying to serve Jesus well. You're trying to do all the right things, but you're not seeing any fruit, and you're just growing increasingly tired and irritated and discouraged. See, work and activity and service are not bad, but they're not the same as proximity to Jesus. And we can do a lot of the things and not even be connected to him. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, author and pastor, he has this quote. He says this, Work for God that is not nourished by a deep interior life with God will eventually deteriorate and us with it. It's only a matter of time. Like a branch that's disconnected from the vine, it may look good for a time, but slowly it will wither and slowly it will die. 
And I don't believe this is the life that Jesus has on offer for us. This is not what he describes when he says, I came to give you life and life to the full. Jesus has a better way for us to live. But this comes to our key idea, which is this. If we want to live with a rightly ordered heart, our doing for Jesus must flow from a deep inner life with Jesus. There's no way around this. There's no bypassing this. Before we can say, send me, like God, like send me on mission, send me into the world with any, in any kind of healthy way, we must get our priorities right. We have to locate ourselves in the right place near Jesus. And for this, our example is Mary. We see Mary a different way. You see, the proper course correction to a faith or a life that's marked by activity and not proximity is not inactivity. Like, that's not what we're saying. It's like, oh, I'm active, I'm doing a bunch of stuff. Like, the the, the course correction is not do nothing. The proper course correction is to take up the right kind of activity. Like, we might look at this story and we may compare Mary and Martha and conclude that Martha was active and Mary was inactive in this moment, but Mary is far from inactive in this scene because being with Jesus is not about inactivity. It's just about a better kind of activity. We see Mary focused on being with Jesus and receiving from him. You can tell she's attentive. She's open. She's hanging on his words. And do you notice where she sat? She sat at Jesus' feet. Why that detail? Why is that important? It's because to sit at the feet of a rabbi was the position of a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Disciples would sit at the feet of their rabbi as they taught. And Mary understood the first goal, the first priority of a a disciple of Jesus is to be with Jesus. It's not to do the things Jesus did. That, that, That comes, but it's not the first priority. The first priority is to be with Jesus. In fact, three times in the Gospels, we see Mary of Bethany, and each time she's in the same position at the feet of Jesus. This wasn't just a one-off moment for her where she got it right. She had understood this. Her first priority, be with Jesus. Mary had one center of gravity in her life, and it was Jesus. And had Mary gotten up in this moment to help Martha with all of the tasks, she likely would have not been upset by the same preparations that upset her sister because she had slowed down long enough to center her life again on Jesus. She got her priorities right. She knew the first goal. See, Jesus says in this passage, he says, few things are needed. I love all the things that we have. I love the services and I love the lights and I really love the worship team and I love the coffee and I love all of that stuff. But he says, few things are needed and indeed only one. And he says, Mary has chosen what is better. Jesus is not inviting us into a life of inactivity. He's inviting us into a life of a better kind of activity one that is centered and anchored in the right things, one that actually produces fruit in our life and then through our life. Jesus says again in John 15, he says, abide in me, live in me, remain in me, and you will produce fruit. I mean, this is really good news for us today. It's because you need to know this, and we all need to hear this, is that you don't need to produce fruit in your own effort. A lot of us, we know that in theory, but our lives don't reflect that. 
It's like we're trying to produce fruit. We're trying to change ourselves by ourselves. We're trying to change the world in our own power. And we, we, we live as though we're like a fruit tree that's like struggling to bear fruit. You've never seen that before because it doesn't make any sense. A fruit tree just bears fruit because of what it is. Jesus says, remain in me. Live your life in me, and your life will produce the fruit that you long for. You don't have to struggle for it in your own power. You have to follow with God in obedience, and that's hard, makes its decisions, but he produces the fruit. Kingdom fruit is not the result of your blood, sweat, and tears. The fruit Jesus wants to yield through our life is the result of living in proximity to him. Abide in me, he says. All of the other stuff, it's important. Like, it's right that we show up. It's right that we live in community. It's right that we pray. It's right that we serve and use our gifts. It's right that we love others. It's right that we care for the poor. It's right that we defend the vulnerable. It's right that we share the gospel. It's right that we give generously. It's right that we lead. It's right that we do all of these things, but we must not mistake all of those things as the most important things. Because if we get all of those things right, but miss Jesus then all of those things add up to nothing. It's just burnt up with no fruit. If you're a disciple of Jesus, your first priority is to order your life around being with Jesus. Everything else flows from there. But here's the really hard part. I'm going to get practical for a minute. If we want to live a life where we choose what is better. If we want to abide in Jesus, it will require something of us we hate to give up and hate to reallocate. And that's our time. It's going to take time. It's far easier to burn ourselves out working for Jesus than it is to create time to abide in Jesus. Honestly, like you've experienced this, you know, it's like, it's way, I'm just going to go do stuff. I'm just going to fill my time. I'm just going to like work myself to death. And that's easier than figuring out how to live a life abiding in him. But to live in proximity to Jesus requires time. There's no way around this. There's no bypassing this. It's like any other relationship that we cultivate in our life. You can't like, like if I never spent time with Kelsey, our, our marriage would be dying. It takes investment. It takes time. And it's more than just a few minutes of devotions every day or a few minutes of quiet time every day. That's a great start, and we should do that. But it's more than that. So I want to give us three really easy, not easy, simple, (laughs) practical practices that we can start to implement that will aid us in building a life with Jesus. I'm going to start with what I think is easiest and move to what I think is hardest. The first thing you can try is this. It's the practice of slowing. Slowing, which is intentionally slowing your life down in order to connect with Jesus. Intentionally. This will feel so counterintuitive to most of us because we're hardwired to move through life as fast as possible and we're constantly distracted by things in between. But if we never have space in our day, It's hard to abide in Jesus. And so here's the practice. This week, choose to do things slower or make choices that force you to slow down. Here's what that could look like. Drive in the slow lane all week. You're laughing. I'm I'm, I'm serious. 
Maybe the whole week is too much. Try it for like one commute. I don't want to put too much on you. Drive in the slow lane. Instead of trying to beat a yellow light, break at every yellow light. You think I'm kidding. I'm not. Do it. If you're in the grocery store, choose the longest line. And leave your phone in your pocket while you stand there. This is slowing down. I've got a lot of driving ones. Drive the speed limit. Don't go over. Once or twice this week, leave the house without your phone. See, all these things sound silly, but they're actually really important because it forces us to slow down. But here's the trick. It's not just about like being late for everything. Great. Thanks, Jay. I'm late. I'm stressed out. No. In the little moments that you create, stopping at the red light, focus your heart and your mind and your attention on Jesus in those moments. Jesus, what do you want to say to me right now? What opportunities might be right in front of me right now? If we're constantly connected and constantly distracted and constantly running, there's no space because Jesus mostly speaks in a still, soft voice. Slow down. The second is this. It's silence and solitude, which is intentionally cutting out the noise. This is what it could look like. Take a few minutes each day to just be still and quiet. Many of us, here's how we start the day. Our alarm goes off and we grab our phone and we open email and social media and we're never still. We're constantly connected, constantly processing information. To be still is to remind ourselves that Jesus sustains every breath. Here's how I like to start sometimes. I just take a few deep breaths and remember that the Bible says that Jesus sustains every breath that I take and it reminds me that he's in control of my life. Put the phone away, remove distractions, sit at Jesus' feet, and let your soul catch up to your body. And this is hard because when we're still, we start thinking all the thoughts that we've been compartmentalizing and bearing and pushing aside for a long time. But those things do not just go away. They just fester in different places. But when we're still with Jesus, he can begin to deal with them. Talk to God about what's on your heart and mind. Start small. Don't try to do an hour right away. Start with like a few minutes of being silent with Jesus. Here's the third one, Sabbath. Sabbath is one 24-hour period where we step aside from our work and our need to accomplish in order to delight in Jesus and all his good gifts to us. This is probably the hardest one, but perhaps the most important, and we could probably do a whole series on it. But Sabbath reminds me that the things that I do and accomplish don't define me. They're just things that I do. Sabbath reminds me that God can take care of the world if I step aside for a day. He's been doing it a long time. He doesn't actually need me, which is a really freeing thought. The world will not fall apart if I stop working for a day. And Sabbath resets my heart to remember to choose the better thing, to delight in Jesus first. So slow down. Practice some silence and solitude. And take a Sabbath. These are all some really like, practical practices that we can do to help train us. These practices are nothing in and of themselves. They're a means to an end, which is a life with Jesus. 
they help ensure that our doing for Jesus is actually rooted in being with Jesus so that our lives produce good fruit. Worship team, you can get ready to join me as we prepare to close. So, what does all this matter in light of what we're talking about in this series? What difference does this make when we're talking about this idea of send me, of of mission, of sharing the gospel and going into all the spaces that God has called us to? See, the danger we're trying to avoid, one of the things we can do, and maybe you've experienced something like this if you've been in church long enough, is that we can take a topic like evangelism and reaching our our friends and living on mission, and we can just get all hyped up around the idea, hyped up about the mission. But the danger is, is that we go out and try to do it in our own power. We try to do it in our own strength. And if we go and just try to like reach people and change our city in our own power, it will crush us. And so the pattern Jesus establishes is so important. He says, follow me, be with me, understand my heart and my character. Let me work in you. And then he commissions us and sends us in his strength and in his power. Now listen, we we can be commissioned and with Jesus all at the same time. It's not like you just have to do nothing, but we have to have our priorities right. But this is the beauty of the gospel, is that we don't need to work our way into relationship with Jesus. We don't have to work our way to earn anything from him. Rather, Jesus invites us to him. He invites us into rest. He invites us to be found and anchored in who he is. And from rest and from relationship, we do. From rest, we use our gifts. From rest, we answer his call. Our work and our activity are simply a response to what he's doing in us as we live in proximity to him. You know, we cannot give to others what we do not possess ourselves. When we answer God's call and say, God, send me, We don't just give people a message that's disconnected from who we are. Like our life is part of the message. What Jesus is doing in us is part of the message. But we can't give people just like a a prettied up version of our life. We give people the actual version of our life. We give people who we are and specifically we give them who we are in God. So how can we show people who Jesus is if we don't truly know him? activity of Christianity, the activity of church, but we've missed him. This is why it all matters. It doesn't matter just for you. It matters for the friends that Jesus wants to reach through your life. It matters for your coworkers. It matters for your neighborhood. It matters for our city. I don't want us to be a church that has it looking good on the outside and we can do like crush all the good church stuff, but we don't actually know Jesus. We haven't slowed down to be with him. It's like we, we can say all the right stuff, but there's hollowness to the way, to the words that we speak. But when we know Jesus, when our doing for Jesus is anchored in, in a life that prioritizes being with him, all of a sudden we have something to offer. And as we go back into a time of worship, I think with the Holy Spirit might want to rearrange or reassess some things in our heart. Maybe there's some priorities in your life that you're like, oh, I just need to let these things go. I need to remind myself that these are the things that are most important. Or maybe you're here and you're just like, you're realizing like, man, my whole faith is built on this outward activity and you're tired today. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live 
like follow Jesus like this anymore. I don't want to feel like the whole world is on my shoulders when it actually is on His. Today, I think the Holy Spirit would love to lift burdens off of us. Love to remind us that you're good. You don't need to feel like everything's in your control. You don't need to feel like it's all on your shoulders. Come to me. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. Let's stand as we read this. this message we would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast other ways you can connect with avant life is through youtube instagram and facebook or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com